This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to the Beatles Films Podcast. I'm Matt Looker. I'm Ed Williamson. We're both professional film writers and Fab Four fans and each week we discuss a different movie about, starring or inspired by the Beatles. This week, that film is a 2006 documentary, The US vs. John Lennon, which tracks the always outspoken Beatles transition from lovable mop top to vocal political activist. With his headline-grabbing anti-war campaigns catching the attention of the FBI and being seen as a threat to the re-election of President Nixon, the White House administration finds itself in the curious position of looking to take extreme action against, well, a, a pop star. Uh, or does it? Because... Ed, I wanted to ask you uh, a question first of all, a genuine question, not a leading question, Your Honour, uh, a genuine question. Do you think that the stakes uh, at this time were actually as high as the film presents? Uh, well, this is... One of the interesting things about this film is it probably is my main source of information about John's political activism. Mm. So, I mean, I saw this when it came out I don't think it was at the cinema but anyway yeah at, at some point when it came out I saw it quite early on and uh, certainly I would have I would have already read Lennon books and, and whatnot by that point but probably I mean one of the main ones I had read was the Albert Goldman book which has been um, fairly comprehensively <laughs> uh, you know his his motivations in that book were not not altogether um, <laughs> honourable I think it's fair to say um, you need to elaborate on that I'm sorry uh, that that but it's a character assassination that book. Oh, okay. Um, um, and, to what uh, end? Uh, well, quite. Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. the that's the key thing. But uh, but I, but I think actually, uh, I I was uh, I was in terms of how I saw John, I was probably quite influenced by that book because that was the main book I'd I'd read that was about John specifically, not all, just all the rest of the Beatles. Mm. And so when this film came along, I think this kind of began to inform much more my opinion of, of John Lennon as an activist. Um, mm. So it, it's difficult for me to answer the question because th- this film is sort of where I've got that information from in <laughs> yeah, the first place. You know? Well, because the reason I ask is because I, I, I've had it quite, um, I'm, you know, coming to this film cold, I actually, even though it was released during a time uh, at which I was, I was definitely sort of ensconced in movies and films coming out and you know keeping up to date and it's i think this isn't the film that i had seen before yeah um so i'm coming to this cold and it 
it occurs to me it occurs to me while watching the film that the uh, the documentary takes this kind of tone uh, this implies that Lennon's life is in danger as a result of his activism yeah and um, there's lots of reasons why I guess not least of which because you actual you know it, it makes no bones about the fact that it has actual FBI agents as talking heads on mm. you talking about his activity as legitimate threats to the presidency yeah. and it's it's housed in those terms and you, you kind of get this overall sense that the only way the the White House is is going to be able to remove this threat is to to have him oft <laughs> you know some Ooh. sort of like it, you know there's there's this sort of sense of conspiracy theory about it which obviously you know so uh so yeah it, it's, it's sort of it feels like it's building towards that mm. uh, and then the point at which i realized that there might be reason to question that way of thinking is um when the film reaches the point uh where there's a recommendation from uh jagger hoover which is just to revoke his visa and yeah. it's like yeah of course yeah actually there's a much easier way to deal with this threat and that's through admin and bureaucracy yeah yeah true and uh, you'd think that you know J. Edgar Hoover of all people <laughs> might, might have come up with that idea a bit earlier <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yes exactly but yeah so I, 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 at that point I started to question I, I don't mean to, to question the veracity I think of the film because I, I think on the whole I think it feels like a very credible source of information with mm. the with the information it presents. If they, I think it feels very well balanced yeah. uh, with all of the opinions that uh, are expressed with various talking heads. Um, but it felt like at that time that was when I was like, I think I need to question whether this film is trying to over egg uh, the situation a mm. little bit to try to make the situation more dramatic than it than it is. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. I- uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, personally, I'm I'm not convinced that their lives are in danger, particularly. Um, but they do kind of say. I mean, Yoko. Uh, so Yoko is one of the talking heads in this documentary, and mm-hmm. and she says she's talking about the um, Republican National Congress uh, in Miami, which I think was in 1972, before Nixon got reelected, and mm-hmm. the idea was that John and Yoko and maybe various other musicians and speakers and whatnot were going to follow uh, Nixon's campaign tour around the country playing gigs in every city he was in and um, Yoko describes them as deciding not to pulling out of that in the end uh, because they felt their lives would be in danger Um, and I can imagine I mean maybe they were maybe they weren't but I mean that was that was a, a a paranoid time, if nothing else. No, I think you know, yeah, no, I think you're right. And it's interesting hearing John talk about you know people following him and um, him making no bones about him being followed as well. Like I believe all of that. Oh yeah. Like this this yeah, idea yeah. of him uh, feeling uh, intimidated, like and, and deliberately made to feel intimidated. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's interesting. He talked about that. It also was interesting the the example that you've um, mentioned there. I I took to mean in, in a sort of slightly different way because I think you know that happens after John and Yoko receive the letter of deportation, mm. um, and when Yoko mentions that about going to the um, uh, event in Miami and deciding not to, I took that to mean I, I mean she does talk about um, how she was worried or they were worried for their lives at that point, but I also took it to mean that you know don't travel to a different state at a time when you're 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 facing deportation because i imagine the interstate travel would be difficult and be made difficult for you yeah yeah um so that's a reason to stay put already just because you could be at risk then of being forcibly deported i guess yeah i guess so one of the things about it is that uh, we're sort of jumping to the end a little bit but um the way it kind of almost uh concludes is that they sort of gave up the Lennons, you know, John and Yoko. In a sense, they sort of gave up on activism. Well, they sort of gave up on everything by 1975, you know, other than uh, parenting. And fair enough. Uh, uh, it's a perfectly reasonable decision to make, you know, just to withdraw from public life in order to bring up a child. Um, but but then the way it presents uh, when Nixon is then brought down by the Watergate scandal. It, it almost presents that as sort of 
uh, vindication for John, you know, as if uh, John and Yoko caused that in some way or had something to do with it, you know. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and yeah. I, you know, and I, and I thought to myself, well, I suppose you, you, you could say that John and Yoko and a lot of other people, through their activism, weakened Nixon's reputation to such an extent that he was more vulnerable to being brought down by things like Watergate. Um, I suppose that is perhaps fair to say. I, Other I, than that, you know. I think that is fair to say. Yeah. And if I thought the documentary was saying that, I'd say that was fair. <laughs> but you said that. <laughs> right, but I don't right. think the documentary is trying to make that link. Okay. I think um, it's, a, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because um, you're right, Nixon gets re-elected. Um, there, there's a sense of, oh, there the movement failed mm. um, in that sense. Time moves on. Yeah. And then Nixon is brought down by Watergate and then the film shows you a picture of Lennon throwing up a peace sign, yes. um, like it's like it's you know, it's um, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't, I don't know how far I want to go down this tangent, but it reminds me I've got friends who have a dog and um, a uh, really badly trained dog, right. and uh, and we will be at their house and they'll be like, um, okay, sit, 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 and he and he won't, mm. and like ten minutes later, mid conversation, he'll sit and and they'll be like, good boy, well done, <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> You've not those two things are completely unconnected, you know. Yeah. Um I don't know why <laughs> I'm not likening Lennon to a dog in any way at all, but just um the situation appealed. Um <laughs> While we're um jumping to the uh the end of the film, which yeah. I think is probably okay to do because um we you know, we can go over the the ground that the film covers in more detail. Yeah. Um I, I, you know, relating this also back to this sense of the film implying high stakes. The the last sort of coda of the movie is uh, deals with Lennon's death, mm-hmm. and there's a really uh, I know you feel about this the same way that I do. Really quite brutal and and kind of distasteful way that um, it brings about Lennon's murder into the story, which is to show a picture of Lennon. And, and have these loud gunshots ring out yeah. uh, over the picture. The picture sort of fades to black with each gunshot. Mm. Um, it's done in a sort of a shocking way. Yeah. It just seems really almost callous, I, I guess, given the, yeah. the, the nature of the rest of the film. Yeah. And also the fact that his murder doesn't really seem to tie in with the rest of the film. But it does add to this sense of uh, Len's life was in danger. And uh, the fact that he was killed in the way that he was almost the film almost implies that this was an inevitability because of the activism in which he took part yes yeah it, i suppose it is kind of trying to draw that line isn't it uh it's not saying it all that specifically so i suppose the the, the best you could say for that thesis is it it, it is true that among mark chapman's delusions and among the uh, the things that formed his opinion of John, which led him to murder him, uh, was the idea that this guy was a hypocrite because he was, you know, a multi-millionaire activist. Mm. You know, try, uh, th- this idea of um, being too rich to sort of, uh, uh, and remote from other people to uh, properly speak up for them. You know, I think... Um, if there is a line between the two things, there is a line between John being an activist and John ending up assassinated, then that that is it. But it's a pretty thin line. You know? Yeah, no, but, agreed. Uh, and and I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, but again, if I thought the documentary was saying that, <laughs> I would say that was fair. Is this going to be a motif? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. I think I've introduced something. Um, because I don't think it is trying to make that connection explicitly between, mm. you know, it feels like um, you know that, that there's that, that's that's an interesting angle to take, isn't it? That actually, the there's an irony there that the film could present, which is that um, through John's activism, he um, made himself a political target that put his life on the line. But actually, it was through um, a delusional person's perceived hypocrisy uh, it ultimately ended his life. And that's quite interesting, right? But, but the film isn't saying that at all. The film is saying no. Lennon's life seems like it was in danger, and ultimately it was, and that's how he died. Yeah, and it just feels a little bit 
clumsy. Yeah, I suppose it, you know, it, 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 the best it is doing is saying live by the sword, die by the sword. Yeah, I suppose. Of, yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of okay, thing, but but it's not a you know, it, it, it's it, it's not a reasonable comparison to draw. It, it, it's not kind of stating its case that that is its comparison. But it, this thing, I mean, by including John's murder at all, so it, it so it has scenes at the end. The scenes of everyone sort of in Central Park that day, you know, sort of people, um, or the next day, sorry, and people people crying and what and holding up posters and whatnot are always really touching. And I mm-hmm. think it's, um, it is a, a good and fitting end to the film that they show what John meant to people because that is significant. Yeah. And I suppose in order to do that, you need to cover the fact that he was murdered because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But you don't need to do it with, you know big gunshots that like they really made me jump those gunshots like yeah. I say I've seen the film before but I, I forgot that but it, because they come it's deliberately uh, jolting you know yeah. it, it's, it's deliberately trying to make you jump um, and you're right like it's, it's, it's important to show that uh, reaction to his death because that reaction to his death is informed entirely by the persona that he took on during his activist years right it's yeah. like the people who are crying in central park aren't crying because the last time they saw john was um when he was a beetle it's because of the status that he took on as someone who promoted peace yeah. and um you know the, the the message of love that he was trying to spread throughout the world yeah um so no you're right that makes sense i think also I should probably stop ragging on a film that I actually really liked um, <laughs> and focus on some positive stuff. Yeah, I, I really did enjoy watching this movie, and I think one of the things, one of the reasons I enjoyed watching it is because it it, it almost didn't seem like a Beatles documentary, right? We're covering mm. these Beatles films, which are about the Beatles or you know, various elements of their career, but this was uh, this takes on a whole other level of uh, exploring the cultural significance of a particular person. Who just happened to be a Beatle uh, in in an early part of his life? Yeah, and and I think it presents that in a really um, brilliantly well balanced way. Mm. There were there are opposing viewpoints that are here. There are um, those that were on the side of the law and the administration that were you know that, that try to do as good a job as any as explain why Lenin was a legitimate threat. And then there are those who um, obviously talk about how fantastically passionate he was and what great work that his um, activism was doing. Mm. But yeah, I, I was impressed. I think it's probably one of the sort of, uh, of all the documentaries we've covered in our podcast so far, I think it's probably one of the better instances of a neutral exploration of a subject. Yeah, that's true. Because, I, you know, I think it'd be very easy just to make a film about... Um, it wasn't this guy's activism wonderful? Yes. Um, yeah. But it uh, it it doesn't shy away from showing the naivety that was part of his activism, and there are talking heads. Uh, and uh, Angela Davis is one who uh, she she obviously appreciates his power as an activist, uh, but I think she's uh, slightly conflicted about you know where, where he stood on certain things, you mm. know, and. Um, you know, there's a there's a, there's some of the extra features on the DVD. Um, there are some interviews there where um, the, the, some things you know that d- didn't make the final cut. You know, and she is um, talking about uh, "Woman is the N Word of the World" uh, from the Sometime in New York City album, and she says that you know that that, that was a feminist message that no one else was putting out at the time, and yet I found it very difficult to listen to because of the use of that word, which you can, of course, completely understand, you know. Mm-hmm. So the, I think it, it's really interesting, I mean, by the way, to have um, talking heads like her and, and Bobby Seale and, yeah. uh, and, you know, I mean, like proper thick of it activists, you know. Yeah. This is, this is, um, this is a film was, uh, this has got some proper talking heads in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. I, And I was thinking that, I was like, this film is, is has got a real, like, Weight of credibility attached to it through its talking heads, yeah. and then like Noam Chomsky turned up, and oh, I was like, right. "This is like through the roof now." Yeah, I, I got you know, and like Gore Vidal, yeah. like, like <laughs> yes, exactly, like, yeah. like the talkingest of all talking heads, like you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> Walter Mitty, 
Walter Cronkite as well, it turns out. It's, um, I know. Really good. Yeah, it's incredible. It really is absolutely incredible. And that's, yeah. you know, that's why it, this documentary just feels like it takes on a completely different flavour to what we've covered before because mm. it's, um, it really is exploring something that's of historical uh, significance uh, at a political level mm. rather than a sort of uh, cultural level. Cultural, yeah. yeah, or, yeah. But yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree. And I, I like that you pointed out as well that um, uh, that it doesn't shy away from showing Lennon's naivety because I think that that definitely is the case. It's the the ultimate takeaway I think from this is that he did a lot of fantastic work during this period, and all of it was well-meaning. But there are instances shown here where he doesn't quite know how to articulate uh, what he's doing and why. Mm. There are periods where he doesn't he comes across as sort of unnecessarily aggressive rather yes. than constructive yes uh, and yeah and you kind of get the impression of someone this is someone who's sort of feeling their way through this as they go mm. which i think is an interesting realist interestingly realistic uh viewpoint to to, to take on him yeah. At the time. yeah yeah but i think if you think about so you think about that scene where i forget the lady's name but she's a journalist from the new york times yes and she's she's sort of challenging john yoko about you know and she, and she's she's sort of uh she's quite supercilious in her tone and he is ob- you can see his face is red like yeah. his hackles are up he is and he's on the defensive mm. uh and he's like quite curt with her he's quite rude to her um, but she's being fairly rude to him but the fr- oh he's, he's been very rude to him yeah, yeah. the frustrating thing about that that um interview section is that like he like Lennon shows himself in in other areas of this film in other footage to be able to argue the value of the work that he does um in quite an articulate way so when she's saying things like oh you don't believe you've actually saved lives do you dear boy mm. like and really yeah. putting him down I, I want him to to turn around and say well actually yes because by putting this message out there it's spreading positivity it's changing minds mm. in in indirectly in effect, that is going to lead to lives being saved. Yeah, but he doesn't. He, like you say, his hackles are up. Mm. He's riled, and yeah. he ends up sort of biting back at her instead. And yeah. It's like you kind of want him to take the higher ground and just yeah, true. Be more, be more um, constructive in in his arguments. Uh, in that point. Yeah, but it's. It, but I suppose it's difficult for him, even if he believes it. It's difficult for him to say that because I suppose he must be conscious of the, the looking uh, like the, he sort of thinks he's sort of too high handed in his in his views like yes of mm. course you know i yes of course i'm saving lives you know he you know he he's aware of the facts um and by the way there's a lot talked about in this documentary about how they're using their celebrity and the the idea of a sort of a superstar ego goes along with that um yeah. aware of the fact they're using their celebrity to as he says promote peace like it was dish soap you know yes, like a, yeah. like you know advertise it like a product um it's quite, right. it's quite a revolutionary idea, like genuinely. Um, and by the way, he's still, what, 32 at this point or something oh, like that, God. 33, that kind of thing. <laughs> it, it, it's always worth doing a little... That just hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> right, it's always worth doing a little age check on <laughs> things like this. Because, I mean, obviously when one is 32 years old, you know, one's political views are sort of generally more well-developed than when you're in your 20s, to be fair. Yeah. But, you know, but you might still not have a... It, you, you, what you probably got is a very decent sense of right and wrong, you know, and, mm. you, and it, it, it must be difficult when you are a pop star and you've made the decision to do this publicly. You know you're vulnerable. You know you're exposed to the arguments of those who know a lot more yeah. stuff about this than, yeah, absolutely, than you do. Yeah. You know. Which is always the case, I think, especially yeah. when you're in, you know, um, when you are a, a celebrity, you are easily exposed as um, as someone who's less informed, yeah, yeah, um, uh, and, and that, again, like I said, I think the film shies away from that. I think that you know there are moments in the film where uh, Lennon shows himself up as being a little bit unsophisticated in how he uh, explains the motives for the activism in which he's taking part. And one of my favourite moments in this is, and, and this this sounds really unfair to call out. I think I know what you're going to say. But yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bit where. Um, uh, on an interview program, he interview uh, he introduces um, Bobby Sewell to come onto the show, and and basically 
I don't know. I don't understand what the setup of that is. But basically, he's on someone else's interview show, yeah. introduces his own guest, yes, and then well. proceeds to interview him like he is the host of the show. <laughs> I don't understand what that happens. But I mean, yeah. but he asks um, Bobby Seale like, you know, what is the philosophy? Of the uh, Bobby Seale, by the way, obviously is a co-founder of the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm he asked him what the philosophy of that is. And I think he asked him that because he's trying to change um, opinions about, I guess, what the, the party stand for. Uh, and Bobby Saul responds and says that um, immediately, the first thing he says is that he doesn't believe in nationalism because in his mind, nationalism is akin to superiority and that's akin to racism. Uh, at which point Lenin interrupts and says, yes, I wrote that in my song. I said no countries. <laughs> And it's like, <laughs> it's not quite as nuanced uh, when yeah. you say no countries in yeah, your song, Imagine, yeah, yeah. as the point that obviously was currently trying to make yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and for which you have given him a platform in which to make this point. You know? Yeah, but, you know, I think uh, I think those guys, certainly people like, um, you know, Abby Hoffman, you know, were, were sort of uh, well aware of sort of John's value as, uh, you know, in, uh, as, and, and where, I'm not saying they were using him necessarily, but they knew he was uh, very, very valuable just in order to be able to communicate simple messages. And actually, the, the example I thought you were going to bring up is when someone asks him, what should Nixon do? And John says, he should just declare peace. Oh, yes, oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes and right. so I watched and I, <laughs> and I sort of laughed when I heard it because it is very, it is very naive, you know, yeah. and, and of course, like, there, there will have been so many people watching that would have just thought, oh, right, okay, fine. He should just declare peace, should he? <laughs> not, not unreasonably, right? Yeah. Um, however, um, there's another side to that, which is that John understood the value of slogans. And, you know, w- w- war is over. Give peace a chance. Power to the people. These are slogans. All you need is love is a slogan. Um, and I think one of the things about John and the Beatles in general is that there, there's simplicity to their um, messaging, if you like. I've always believed that when they sung All You Need Is Love, they were essentially showing us the way and we didn't listen and now look at us, you know. <laughs> but um, all, all You Need Is Love, uh, as an idea, at its core, solves all problems. Yeah. When applied to anything all you need is love solves it but it's just the slogan yeah. it's it, it's not you, you can't expect a pop group to do the work for you yes you know? no agreed yeah but, yeah, think, yeah but a pop group has a, or a man like john lennon has a role to present you with the idea mm-hmm. and uh, present that idea to people who otherwise would not receive it but there is no point expecting them to get round the table and you know and and sort of conduct no negotiations between countries to actually bring about peace that's not the point so what are you, what are you saying there that um that the uh, is that playing into the idea of Lenin being quite naive and he's expecting that to happen or that he would no. know that that wouldn't no no what, what i mean is that when he says nixon should just declare peace yeah that is all you should reasonably expect John Lennon to say in that situation. Sure. Yeah. He doesn't need to have any more complex ideas about how this should come about. Yeah. He just needs to be the spokesperson and the the sloganeer, essentially. And, and I think that, yeah, sloganeer, brilliant word. You're absolutely right. I think that watching this film made me take on, take on a new appreciation for... The, the the songs that he were recording that, that are presented in this movie that have a political or I think probably unfairly remembered now as being quite preachy mm. aspect to them because the film gives you the, that context and when I have heard songs like Give Peace a Chance um, and thought this is just John doing his preachy peace thing and mm-hmm. it's just really really simple and repetitive and therefore a bit boring yeah that the film actually presents a section within it that explains that it was written that way deliberately because it was supposed to be a slogan. It was supposed to be, it was designed for people to chant. And mm. essentially, and that's what happened at these protests. And, yeah. and, and it sort of gave me a new appreciation for those songs because it wasn't just John trying to present, you know, trying to preach to the masses, but actually he's giving them a tool to use to make that message spread even further than uh, the song that he's recorded for it, you know? Yeah. Um, but you're right, and it's interesting that when you said before about um, activists themselves, like Jerry Rubin, the film explicitly calls out that they saw John as a as a weapon mm. uh, and as a tool. Yeah, like he's he's 
phrased in that way both times um, throughout the film because yeah. that is how I guess you know to one side is a tool to the other side is a weapon uh, to be used against them but um, yeah. but yeah the, 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 the film makes no bones about the fact that it's not necessarily John doing the good work but more that he's adding fuel to the work that's already being done yeah yeah definitely yeah he's he's backing it up more than anything else you know yeah and, you know, and I think in terms of that thing about simplicity of message, um, one of the things we see in this is that where the, where the sort of launching bagism, which I think was in about 69 or something like that. Um, and and they're in the room with the journalists um, who are asking them the questions. And so like uh, and then it's intercut with uh, John explaining on a subsequent interview what bagism, what bagism is all about. And he used the example of... Um, uh, a black man going for a job interview. If he's in a bag, nobody knows he's black and he can be treated treated equally, you know. Mm. So, a, a, as with all the best bits of John and Yoko's kind of performance arts activism, it, it's kind of funny, it's a bit daft, uh, and also quite forward-thinking. Yeah. So, I mean, you think... So there's plenty of organisations these days who, in their hiring policies, uh, when you when you submit your details... Things like uh, your gender or your age, um, or sometimes even your name, just in case uh, someone might be able to guess your ethnicity from your name, might not be presented to the hiring man- manager. That's bagism, yeah, baby. You know, like it, it, it's it's uh, that that is basically what they were doing. You yeah. know, and um, that's bagism, baby. Should have been the tagline <laughs> for this documentary. They should have stuck that on the posters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If 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 we ever start doing merch, let's let's get badge yes. let's get badges done. Absolutely, <laughs> I want a baseball cap with that one. Um, amazing, a tote bag, a tote bag. We can totally get that made up. That's bag is amazing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's a huge tendency to couch a lot of those kinds of things, events, campaigns that, that John and Yoko did together and, and treat them like the the ridiculous things that they are, like they weren't self-aware of that in the moment. Mm. You know, like I think for a long time, I imagine, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm certain that... Um, People made fun of John and Yoko for bagism, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, because course. it was a dark thing to do. Yep. But like you say, that was part of it. It was to get people talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does feel like even now, the actual message that they were trying to get across got lost because of the way they presented the message. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, there, there were certainly, I think, it's not so much that the message got lost because I think essentially the message they were communicating was peace, you know, give peace a chance, you know, if you want to boil it down to one phrase. And that is like still very much remembered. But I mean, yeah, they were certainly well aware of, uh, I think John said at one point, like, we're happy to be the world's clowns if that's what mm-hmm. it takes. But yeah, I think uh, there's something so forward thinking in this idea of realizing that y- you are going to be on the front pages of newspapers, whatever you do. So you might as well be on the front. I think he says this. You know, you might as well be on the front page with the word "peace" in the yeah, in the background. Yeah, completely. It, you know. I, I think you know, there's there's probably a wealth of debate that could be had around this topic. But I do, I do wonder, and I don't have an answer to this. I don't have a particular uh, opinion one way or the other about it. But I do wonder if 
but take Bagism, Lennon and Yoko um, doing that in order to land a message gets them on the front page because of this ridiculous idea, but actually has it landed the message? You know, like like Bagism in particular, because that is more, more than a promotion of the idea of peace. It's about um, protesting against prejudice. Yeah. And I, wonder if that landed because actually the main takeaway was they got on the front page the you know they um uh they, they would have had people were talking about that for obviously years after but it was always about how that time they were in a bag <laughs> yes. you know like yeah it, it, because and, and, it's, and there is that that sense isn't there that actually yeah you, you you're very very media savvy to know that doing this gives them a platform by which to spread a positive message. Yeah. But actually, there's probably a balance to be struck there between how well that message lands if the thing that you're doing to get a message out there is overriding everything else. Yes. No, you know, that's very true. Um, yeah, I think you're right that the, the the image of them in a bag uh, persists to this day and yeah. not so much the thing that they were... Um, the thing that they were, uh, the message they were trying to get across. However, like I say, um, you know, go and ask your, go and ask your HR department. You know, they'll yeah, tell you. That's right. It's where it all comes from. Baggism, Next baby. Job interview. I say that's where I'm wearing a bag. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the sloganeering, that was really interesting when they covered the song that he wrote for John Sinclair, yeah. which I think is called John Sinclair. Right? Yes, and it's it's a it's I think lyrically it's really interesting and it's actually relatively clever. I think the actual songs, you know, uh, not that anyone's asking me, but the actual song isn't particularly one of my favourites because of the the got to refrain that uh, repeats. I find that a little bit grating. Not not enough got to. Not enough got to. Right. No, I counted. I think there's about eighty four per chorus, but um, <laughs> yeah. but clearly very powerful. And yeah. I thought it was really, uh, you know, I wasn't really aware of the context around the song. Watching the documentary, it gives me that context, and it's absolutely fascinating that the Monday after that concert was broadcast John Sinclair was released from prison mm. but I almost wanted the, the documentary to go a little bit further and actually dig a little bit deeper into how that release came about yeah because clearly it was or as the film presents it's it's Lennon creating this swell of public support for Sinclair that has led to his release mm-hmm. but then what would the official reasons around that like you know what were the yeah how presumably your authorities were like oh we've got lennon's backup now we better release him you know like yeah. what were the what were the sort of the the, the red tape stuff that, that sort of made them able to do that and the circumstances that led to that decision being made within a weekend yeah well i suppose um in terms of the story that the film is telling there's a romance in the idea of like a guy can get up on a stage and sing a song and then says free free this guy and then like a few days later he's freed you know uh so i i i suspect that i mean i don't know but i suspect that probably the reason it doesn't show you that is the the actual mechanisms by which he was then freed is that probably it would reveal that it didn't have an awful lot to do with oh really which I, I, I don't know but no, I mean, no, that's uh, but it's it, but it's probably it, no i mean i think there is uh, certainly there is uh, there is definitely value in in protesting, kind of sh- uh, uh, shining a spotlight on things like this, you know. So, I mean, cases like John Sinclair's can and do go completely unnoticed, you know, and obviously shows the value of having people like John and Yoko who are prepared to talk about a thing in public and therefore draw attention to it. So, I'm sure it will it will have been that the authorities realised that there's a lot of attention on this case Mm. and that we can either let this guy out or if we stick to it, it can become a really sort of damaging PR nightmare that's going to go on and on and on. Yeah. Because he was, he was locked away under false motivations anyway, right? Because uh, it was more about his activism than than the fact that he was, what was it? Sold marijuana to undercover cops? Sold two joints to an undercover policewoman, he says. Yeah. So yeah, obviously there's there's sort of I imagine that uh, he was targeted in that way, and I guess yeah, you're right. Authorities sort of trying to steer away any attention to the circumstances of that arrest is is a good thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, just it felt like it's that is a that's a win more yeah, so yeah. than trying to prevent the re-election of Nixon. 
You know, <laughs> yeah. like focus more because that didn't happen, right? But focus no. more on the fact you've got this guy free. That's there's an entire documentary to be made about that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's it's, true. It's, it's, um, it's a it's a huge achievement, I think. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's you know it's one step um, in, in the, the ultimate story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I don't know about you, but one of the other sort of takeaways I had about Lennon getting as involved in this sort of political mindset as he did was that it kind of reminded me a little bit of everything I know of him as an addict. It just seems so in keeping with what we know as John as a as a as a person that he would just quite suddenly decide to wholly commit to a a, a movement or a particular thing and and really dedicate what seems to be a lot of his time, if not all of his time and effort on this one particular area. Yeah. Do you think that's fair or, or am I just getting that from a film that is only interested in telling that side of the story anyway? No, I think, no, I think that's fair. I mean, so certainly his, um, uh, his life, uh, the events of his life show, show us that he, uh, he did get very deeply involved in one thing at a time. It seemed to be someone who was always looking for, you know, the answer and, um, you know, and he tried spiritualism and meditation and LSD and heroin and, um, primal scream therapy and um would sort of uh find these svengali figures and cling to them maharishi magic alex dr arthur yanov and uh, uh yoko ono to some extent mm-hmm. um so yeah he he did always uh he seemed to attach himself to people things movements and then i don't think he did it callously in a way of sort of getting what he can from it and then moving on i think he just sort of got bored easily or yeah. It, or it, it didn't fulfill him in the way he wanted it to, other than his relationship with Yoko, which I think very much did. Um, but all, I think all these other things eventually just kind of fell by the wayside as they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't give him the answer in the end. You know? It's quite interesting, isn't it, about uh, what you said there about these things not necessarily ful- fulfilling him in the way that he wants to, but actually there is that really nice moment in the documentary where you have him winning his case to stay in New York, in, in the US mm. as his son's being born yeah. on his own birthday. Yeah. And there, there was pictures of him where he's like the, the happiest you've ever seen John Lennon yes. and stuff. And it's I really thought that. genuinely yeah. really nice. And, yes. and I've seen yeah. those pictures before, but I guess it hadn't really, I didn't know the context of all of those things sort of coincided on the same day. And, mm. you know, this, that's like all of your birthdays at once, right? That's, yeah, yeah. Um, but interesting, like, you know, you, I, th- I agree with you in that the impression I get is that there are times when um, he would grow bored of a thing that isn't moving as quickly for him or isn't fulfilling. But in mm. this instance, it seems like there actually was a time when things did come through for him. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and there's and there's some really nice footage um, of him in that period of his life in this as well. I think you know, there's there's actually quite a lot of footage that that isn't seen all that much of him being interviewed outside court hearings. Because, you know, it seems like this immigration battle would just rear up every six months or so and then they'd have to go and get a lawyer to fight it and then the lawyer would, you know, get them a, a stay of another six months or whatever it was, yes, you know, but yeah. just kept on coming back. And so what that meant was that John and Yoko were forever going in and out of these courthouses and getting uh, sort of doorstepped by reporters on the way in, you know. And the one where uh, it really made me laugh out loud when he... Uh, he was asked when he uh, finally sort of won this, this case de- this. definitively, and someone said, "Oh, do you, do you bear any grudge against the people who pursued this against you?" Against you? And he said, uh, "No, I believe time wounds all heals." It's just genius. It's <laughs> so good. But I thought, and then myself, he does his, and the, the film does this really brilliant thing where then he does a quick gurn to the camera, yeah. and he does a freeze frame yes. with his face, right, to really hammer <laughs> point home. And it's like yeah. that's so perfect. Yes. That is so in keeping with early Lennon, yes. you know, the wordsmith and, yeah, uh, and yeah. the goof, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I don't know, yeah. it's just absolutely brilliant, which is a Lennon that you don't see often at that period because mm. all of this film, almost all of this film, you don't get that playful side of his character yeah. because it's so, there's such a serious subject at, yeah. at the heart of it. But yeah, to have, yeah. To have that moment at the end, brilliant, brilliant line. Yeah. And to end on it was perfect. That is, that is exactly the kind of uh, line 
that Ian Hart's Lennon would have said in Backbeat. Right? Yes, yes, they were making so much hay out of sort of yeah. Lennonian, you know, quips like that. You know? Yes, exactly right. Yeah. yeah, and it would have taken like four days for a screenwriter to come up with it or something. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, but uh, but I, I've no idea whether that if that was an off the cuff pun, that is absolutely fantastic. I just I like, feel like it, it doesn't matter whether it's an off-the-cuff pun. I, the chances are, realistically, it's not. No, right? probably not. Yeah. But uh, Lennon likes these this kind of wordplay. That mm. He just constantly has like a hundred of those things that he can bring to mind at any one time, mm. given the circumstances. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's that's what the off-the-cuff... I, I imagine that it's, he hasn't come to that uh, interview, that doorstepping moment, with that fun thing to say in mind. Oh no, not at all. But it would there would there would, there would be a bunch of them un, no, bubbling around to the surface that he could yeah, on it's a, because it, it's what he likes. It's all in there, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, and yeah. I mean, I shouldn't think he, he did an interview in his life where he'd prepared what he was going to say no. in advance. <laughs> I think that's pretty evident, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, talking of which, by the way, um, I know we, we mentioned it um, a little bit before we started this, but. Oh, one of the things that I felt about the film was that it seemed really obvious to me that Yoko had, if not as much, almost as much of a part to play in the um, plans they were making around how to promote uh, their messages of peace and yeah. the you know the activist movements that they were behind part of. But she gets a little bit sidelined in the film and the focus is on John mm. leading the way. Yeah. And I guess I kind of felt like maybe the film is do- doing a little bit of an injustice to her because uh, they're making out as if it's it's all John and she was there for the ride. Yeah. That's kind of the impression you get. And I'm sure that's not the case. Mm. But equally, there are times in the film where they are on chat shows being interviewed and he just talks all over her. Yes, like, he does. There is. Yeah. And it's not great to see right. you know like she has yeah. a point to make or she's trying to contribute to to the point or the question they're being asked and mm. stuff and he would immediately interrupt and he's just a very kind of a brash character in that way isn't he yeah he's, he's the vocal one yeah definitely uh, and i think uh, also like it, it won't have helped that most interviewers really wanted to talk to him you know yes, and, yeah. and and were just sort of uh, but realized that part of the deal was that they had to have her on as well Yes. Because otherwise they'd say no. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, it, yes, I think that dynamic is just... It, 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 the, the balance is tipped in his favour just right from the word go, the yeah. entire setup of... And you're right, and, and he's the one do. that's, you know, has been in, doing interviews for previous 10 years and mm. is a bit more um, media trained, isn't the right word, clearly, for, <laughs> for Lennon, but, you know, yeah. he's, he's much more familiar and comfortable with, in those kind of situations, yeah. I imagine. yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, there were times when I felt a little bit uncomfortable for Yoko. So yeah. I was like, oh, let her have a say as well, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. She, she's just as passionate about the cause. Of course, you know, and a lot of these ideas are hers yeah. as well. Yeah. You know? I think, uh, so I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting, I think sometimes to take a bit of a step back on y- Yoko when she appears in documentaries, because I think that because she is a sort of controversial figure and she divides opinion, uh, because of that, we, we kind of don't often stop and think when we see her in documentaries just how valuable it is to have a, a, a Beatles widow who is prepared to go on documentaries and talk about being married to a Beatle. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what amazing insight into the kind of man he was that she can provide in a way that no one else can. Yeah, yeah. And um, and and yeah, she's really um. Uh, she's actually quite different in this uh, documentary in, in her her own scenes. Um, she often gets accused of being sort of uh, cold and emotionless, but she um, she talks about him quite emotionally here. Uh, you know, her voice cracks a bit. Um, there's a, uh, there's an extra on the DVD, which I'm not completely sure why it was filmed because it doesn't really make any sense in context, but it's her reading out in full the letter that she wrote to Mark Chapman's parole board in 2000, making the case for why he shouldn't be released. And in it, she talks about how special a person John was, and she describes him as, I think, the other half of the sky, which I yeah. thought was a really lovely phrase. That's, and, the, that's the phrase that stuck out to me as yeah, well. Yeah, and, 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 she, it, and she is getting choked up as she reads it. 
And I thought, you know, it's um, it's a shame this hasn't been more widely seen because mm. actually, like, I I was looking for that clip on YouTube because I wanted to send it to you and I couldn't find it. And uh, so it's just on the. I mean, if anyone, uh, you know, I would really recommend buying the DVD of the U.S. versus John Lennon, which I'm sure you can just get for a quid anywhere these days. And the the DVD extras, you know, it's it's about six or seven minutes long of, of Yoko reading this yeah. out. It's really really remarkable to watch. Um, and I just think that people's uh, people's opinions of her might change a bit. Um, you know, people who have a negative opinion of her, I mean, might change a bit if they saw the the sort of emotional reading of that. It's really quite something. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because I, I completely agree, and I, I think that we are in a period of reappraisal of of Yoko's relationship with the Beatles yeah. now, especially thanks to Get Back. And, and I hadn't seen that before before we covered it for this episode. But um, I wonder how I would have felt about that footage if I'd watched it, like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, yeah. where my most of my uh, most of what I knew about Yoko would have been informed by all of the sort of um, slightly malicious jokes that have been made about her over the years. Yeah. You know, like, I wonder if that would have sort of given me sense to rethink that whole thing uh, by myself. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, plenty of people of the generation um, before ours who, that their opinion of her is, you know, she, that she now, you know, benefits, you know, A, financially and also in terms of publicity from having been John's John's wife. And I mean, by the way, that is obvious, self-evidently true. Yeah. But I mean, what what they're... Uh, what they're saying is that like you know she she wants to keep his legacy going just for her own publicity you know mm. which is just an uh, just a really odd thing to think about a widow you know yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know and of course the the fact that she is non-white as well is 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 a, a big part of that you of know course. it's it's um it's sort of coded into people's reactions to her and also going back to your original point about when we got into yoga I wondered that also had a part to play with the interview sections that we had here, where mm. you have an interviewer who is more focused on talking to John, and and you know, I guess the the attitudes at the time were she still seemed like the foreign outsider yeah. to uh, to this access to the actual celebrity, yeah. even though as we've spoken before, she would have had an equal say, if not more of a say, about the ideas uh, about how to best promote these uh, messages of peace. Yeah. It's essentially performance art, which is where, you know her background, anyway. Isn't it? Yeah. So that's, you know, yeah. you can imagine she had a lot to say in uh, those ideas. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I think you know, I mean, uh, John describes himself in his sort of last years as ha- having gone on a sort of feminist journey through his relationship with Yoko and, and uh, learned the value of you know, and he says that you know, I was uh, I was raised by women, like I didn't you know, and uh, and had sort of uh, come to terms with how he treated women in the past, you know. So I think he'd gone on that journey. And certainly, you know, I think Imagine is now, the song is now credited as a co-write between the two of them. Is it? Because, yeah, because I think that the lyrics, that that sort of lyrical motif is based on a poem of hers, I think. Oh, okay. And I think, as he described it, that initially, like, you know, it should have been a co-credit, but I think he described himself as a sort of, a, a, a macho thing where I, you know, I thought I thought the credit should be all mine, that kind of thing. So I think he 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 certainly started to let go of those things, mm. you know, towards the end of his life, you know. And I think I think his feminism by that point was sincere, or at least he was, you know, trying to, um, or at least he was uh, trying to sort of live by it more than he had done. I kind of find that sort of latter period of, of Lennon's life kind of fascinating because I feel like there's a lot of personal growth that happens in a short space of time and it's yeah. it's, um, it's quite interesting to try and track that yeah yeah I mean like T- Tariq Ali uh, makes the point in it that, that John was sort of at, at a point of change you know and he says his thought process was thought processes were shifting and evolving uh and i thought that was interesting like you know that um uh it's not that this guy like the people around him sort of intellectuals like uh, like Tariq ali are sort of aware of the fact you know you can see Tariq ali turning up in um their kitchen in the imagined documentary yeah. um and um so 
I've no idea what their relationship was other than I think um, Ali would have been sort of um, getting John to help him, you know, promote the messages he wanted to put out, I'm yeah. sure. Um, but it's interesting that he recognised that uh, John was a sort of a profound thinker, at least, and that he was more than just a, a weapon to be used. And also that his thinking was not set in stone you know mm. he was starting to think in a different way and being being exposed to the influences around him you know and they were influencing the way he thought about the world uh, and the way he communicated messages to the world yeah it's interesting isn't it? uh, and uh, it's interesting because um i listen one other point i guess i wanted to make on this was that um the film sets out its stall a little bit at the start by showing us um through the bigger than jesus quotes that John's always been quite an outspoken person yeah um and it, and, it, and it tries to connect that through to um his sort of you know vocal um activism but uh, I thought it was interesting that the film doesn't touch on where the other Beatles stood on issues like that at the time mm. because I know he's he was considered to be the leader of the band yeah. but you know we we kind of have a a, a fair view now of each of the Beatles as individuals, they are four piece. Yeah. Um, McCartney in particular, um, you know, having a, a, a strong voice in the band. But the film doesn't necessarily try to put John's views in context of the band. It's very much a John focused film. Yeah, it was interesting to me that it's not. It's not like when John was trying to make a stand, um, and he says, "What's it? What's that quote where he says?" Um, You'd have to be a monk, you know, and he's like, "Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean it." And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. yeah. But like, he's making quite a um, uh, explicit point there about uh, America and about how Americans use celebrities, yeah, and how they treat celebrities in terms of their their um, uh, opinions. But there's no there's no input from the other Beatles at that point or no, no like sort of view given as to whether or not the Beatles shared that view were interested in the same kind of things. Um, yeah. They go on to do George, obviously we know went on to, to have his own sort of uh, activist movements. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I, just, I don't know. I, I guess it's a focus on John, but I felt like it would have been nice to have had some context around how that evolved within the group before they went their separate ways. Yeah, um, so I didn't, I, I didn't think it uh, needed that particularly. Uh, I do think, I mean, that clip you're talking about. So that's sort of 1966 when they're on that, uh, whichever is probably on the, the the world tour they were on, I guess. Mm. And it's sort of post when they've come out the other side of the bigger than Jesus stuff, but they are all pretty shell shocked yeah. in terms of uh, they are they are not having fun at press conferences anymore. Yeah. They're not doing like like you know that first arrival at JFK, which is a sort of four man stand up routine. You know, yeah. uh, they're not doing that anymore. They are guarded, and they uh, they uh, are stung by the fact that you know that we can we can get if we get tripped up and we say the wrong thing, then it can really really affect us. You know, um, very much he, so. But it's it's interesting that Lennon practically addresses that fact. Yeah. You know, in that at the same time, like it's not like they're being guarded to the extent that they're saying no comment mm. or just giving like terse replies or mm. you know bringing it around to promoting the record or anything. Like he's he's the fact that he takes the opportunity to to basically put that out there. You know, meets it head on. Yeah. You know, like is one thing Mark Lewison always says: the Beatles were always honest. You know, mm. like they they were always themselves. You know, and so. Yeah, you. He, John was always going to meet a thing like that head on. You can see when Paul is visibly uncomfortable while John is is yes, talking, yeah. and when he when he does the sorry monks, I didn't mean it joke. Yeah. You know, there's like a little bit of relief around them, where and like Paul just about manages to smile at it. You yeah, know, yeah, but, yeah. but it's, it's sort of relief as much as anything else. Absolutely, uh, yeah, you get that sense. Yeah, definitely. DVD extras like like the um, uh, Yoko Ono reading out her letter to the parole board. Yeah, um, that says to me that this is uh, a film that shot it within their interview segments. Like you know, were, were asking quite these are prompted things, mm. um, and that says to me that the filmmakers were gathering a lot of 
information and then the resulting film follows a very strict narrative particularly yes. about about the, the political nature of of john's movements at that time but yeah i wonder how that stuff works in terms of think about it like is there somewhere sort of three hours of video footage yeah. of gore vidal talking about the beatles because <laughs> yeah. stick that on a podcast and I, and I will listen yeah. to that 100 oh, yeah. like if, if that exists brilliant let's yeah. let's hear it you know yeah. that'd be great <laughs> but, but that's interesting isn't it because it feels like I, I guess maybe it's true of all documentaries like this, but I guess you know the, the filmmakers are uh, have to get everything they possibly can, and then they're cherry picking what tells the best sort of narrative for the point they want to make or the story they want yeah. to explore. But but it also implies that they don't they they, they don't know that w- the story they've got is there at mm. that point because they're asking Yoko Ono to do things like read the letter to the parole board which yeah. in my mind still has absolutely no place in this film no mm. um, so yeah it's interesting I, I feel like we've um, we've uh, we started at the uh, with how the film ends yeah uh, we're ending with how the film began yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just covering off the DVD features at the end but I, and I feel like maybe I've been a little bit unnecessarily harsh on the film because I, I, I did find it fascinating when you said at the start that this film informs most of what you know about this period of John's life. I feel like that's where I'm at now, and I found it absolutely fascinating to watch. Uh, I feel like I've learned a lot about about this period, and it's contextualised so much for me that I knew and I didn't really understand the the, the background for um, like some of the songs that that we um, that we know from from his albums, um, the timelines for some of these events, which is always can be a bit of a, a messy area for the Beatles because, as we mm. say. They, they just did so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's been, really, it's been, it's been, it's a really valuable uh, documentary in, in the sense of p- piecing everything together in a particular time frame. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think, I think this is a really well made documentary. Mm. And I think it has uh, some sort of intellectual heft to it as well through its sort of ca- the cast of characters it assembles for you. Um, you, you feel pretty confident in the veracity of what it's saying. Yeah, uh, and also just even just by dint of the fact that it has the rights to use the music as well, yeah, uh, which it does. There's a lot of John, a lot of John songs on this, and a couple of his Beatles songs as well. I I, I just find uh, even that just always makes me think, oh, this is a uh, this is a proper documentary. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's an official documentary, and yeah, um, and and there was you know you pointed out to me earlier that there is a mention in the Wikipedia entry for the film that um, a soundtrack for the movie was released, yeah. presumably with these songs on, yeah, um, which I didn't find on Spotify. But um, the first thing I did after I finished watching the documentary was look for the playlist that I knew someone would have made <laughs> yeah. where they played all these songs on. And, and I've been listening to that, like, you know, since. Yeah. Um, just to put all of these songs together and, and you know, let me listen to them with, with that context that we uh, knew. Yeah, yeah. No, it's and it's funny, actually, like, in, in terms of the way the songs are used in the film, that there is the odd thing where, uh, so, like, How Do You Sleep is used as the backdrop to someone talking about, I forget what it is, but, you know, something shady or underhand or sinister taking place. It has that kind of tone, the song, though, yes. doesn't it? It has that yeah. sort of sultry beat to it that yeah. feels a little bit like it's got a sense of foreboding. And definitely, definitely. Intimidation. But, uh, but the interesting thing is that, that that completely shears it of its actual context, which is <laughs> yeah. what, what he is singing about in that song. Yes, that's and, right. and I suppose it's interesting that if you're going to use that in a film about John Lennon, um, people who know that song will hear it in the background when you're, t- you know, you're talking about the Republican National Congress in 1972 or whatever it was, and but actually in the back of our minds is they're not talking about uh, John and Paul's uh, beef in the 70s. Yes, you know yeah. why are they using this song? So I suppose it, it kind of adds context where it's not wanted in an odd way. There are other things like working class hero is used when uh, Ron Ron Kovich, who's the author of. Uh, Born on the 4th of July, the guy who Tom Cruise is playing in that movie, um, who uh, was paralysed in Vietnam. Uh, Ron Kovic is um, doing his bits to camera and working class hero is playing behind him. And like for me, that was almost a sort of pointed comparison of here's this actual working class hero who went to Vietnam when he was 
uh, very young and describes himself as like, you know, you couldn't get someone who was more patriotic than me. I, 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 I bought everything they sold me, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and then he had his eyes opened by his experience against, I mean, one of the controversies about the song Working Class Hero or, but, you know, th- there are those who argue that it rings a little hollow given that John's upbringing was, you know, sort of, I mean, you know, we've been to the house where he grew up. Yes. You know? <laughs> it's, um, it's pretty nice in general, you know, yeah. it's that, you know, it's not, it's not a mansion or anything, but it's a sort of, it's a, it's a middle class home, you know, yes. lower yeah, yeah, middle class, yeah. let's say, you know. Um, so yeah, that, that actually felt like a sort of odd juxtaposition in a way to use that song. It's interesting because we've come back to this argument a few times, which is that is a film allowed to have the artistic license to, uh, use the, uh, use a song to promote a different point from which the song was originally written. Yes, you're right. It yeah. sort of reminds me when we talked about Across the Universe yeah. and it's like you're 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 using Blackbird there because it's a nice sad song <laughs> for a nice sad scene. You know, <laughs> yes, it has nothing yeah. to do with the lyrics whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Uh it's a similar point of view. I mean the the How Do You Sleep point is 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 very good because I think you're right, people who know that song, they know it because they know what it's about. Mm. Um but uh, the lyrics are absolutely that do absolutely pertain to the, the the point in the film when that comes in, you know, is this sort of um, uh, idea of confronting dishonesty? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So I think we've covered all of the aspects of the film. There, um, we would love to know what you think. Have you seen the US versus John Lennon? And what do you think of it as a documentary? Did it tell you new things you didn't know about John Lennon's life in this period? Um, do you agree or disagree with anything we've said so far in this episode? You can comment um, or get in touch by reaching out to us on all the usual social media platforms at Beatles Films Pod. Otherwise, in the meantime, we will see you again next week for another episode. Thanks for listening and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.